computer. And welcome back to another episode of Working Class Fishing. I am John Morris. Somewhere on this screen is Brian Keachley. And our guest this evening, the delinquent duo from the great <laughs> state of Texas, is Holly and Alex Grant. Thank y'all so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. This is yeah. so exciting. <laughs> well, Alex, Holly, um, I saw y'all for the first time at the Mesquite Fly Fishing Show, and I didn't stop by the booth. I wanted to, but you guys seemed busy, and I didn't want to interrupt you guys just to like be like, hey, I, I'm doing a live stream. You guys want to come on? No, it seemed like y'all had much uh, more important matters going on, but Thank you for taking some time out of your evening and coming on here to talk to us. So I know quite a bit about y'all now, but if you would let our listeners know um, some uh, about y'all, that'd be excellent. Okay, Alex, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I guess uh, I, I'm on the quality team with the aerospace company here around Fort Worth, and I've actually only really been fly fishing for about four or five years now. Uh, my wife, my wonderful wife here, is the one that actually introduced me to it. I had been bait casting all my life, and it was just not what I was hoping for until finally she introduced me to fly fishing, and now it's a burning passion that I can't get out of. Yeah, and I'm Holly. Um, I've been fishing for a long time, um, and so for me, I am currently a teacher, and so I teach AP Bio, AP Environmental Science, Honors Biology, freshman biology. Um, and so for me, um, moving down to Texas about a decade ago, uh, I found it really hard to convert over to conventional fishing, I guess. And so uh, to me, I just, I always had my little rods and my little vest and I didn't know that Texas had any opportunities for fly fishing. And then um, met Alex and I was like, ooh, this is a way that I can like impress Alex and show him that like, I, I can fly fish. And so we went out and had a blast. And then we actually started looking for spots to, to go fishing. And then it just kind of snowballed into there. Um, you know, we started laughing stock fly fishing in 2019, like the last day of 2019. Um, and then we just kind of snowballed into this like side hustle that we both do. And, um, I'm not as technical as Alex. So he is our official rod builder. And for me, I kind of do the supplemental stuff. So whether that is making hats, you know, knit hats for the cold weather, um, I have currently started making rod socks. Um, so doing the kind of crafty side to supplement uh, some of the stuff that he does, because I was kind of jealous at how um, technical he is and I am not that way. So we kind of make that, that duo uh, work for us. So that's it. Well, you definitely make up for it by being able to see color. Oh, yeah, that's right. She's our <laughs> color coordinator. Yes. So interesting yeah. fact about Alex, he is colorblind, so I get to be the color coordinator. So that is super fun. That is so awesome. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> so, so, oh, go ahead, Brian. Oh, okay. Well, I, I was just going to say, so um, now uh, – you move to Texas, you come in, you do this whole thing, uh, and and you come in, one, one of you is a conventional angler, the other is a fly angler. Um, I got to ask, how did, how did you guys meet? Just, I, it's off the topic of, of fishing, but how did you guys meet? 
Well, um, actually, we just we met through a dating app. We uh, we were not really running in each other's circles to the point where we probably would have never crossed paths. But uh, I was working as a technician selling security systems. So I saw maybe two, three people in a day. And I realized that probably wasn't going to meet the, the person I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. So we just uh, both independently started using dating apps. Uh, I think I, I won her over with a really crappy pun on my profile. And that really set the tone. Yeah, humor wins me over every time. So I will take that any day. So I uh, got that. And uh, for me, I mean, my schedule is so busy. I, when I first moved down here, um, I was, so I taught. So I taught seventh and eighth grade initially. Then I coached seventh and eighth grade sports. And then the second year, I was the head coach at the high school. In addition to coaching the middle school teams, in addition to teaching seventh and eighth grade science, in addition to learning how to drive a bus and got my CDL. Uh, and so like that just, cause I was at the time I was single and like, it just kept getting to the point where I was like, Hey, I'll do whatever you need me to and whatever committees. And it just got so big that it just consumed my time. And by the time I got to go out and do anything, I was so exhausted that I'm like, my pool like was not very um, big. So uh, you know, dating apps work for us. And ironically enough, like we are, um, seven miles apart when we first met. So the whole time, his whole life was spent in our town in, here in Azel. And I moved to Azel in 2016. And so the fact that we were seven miles apart and there was no way we would have probably ever met unless it was a grocery store. And, um, so it just, that worked out for us. I, I just didn't know if it was one of those things like you guys just like rolled down to the park or the river and you guys are both like casting and you like look over and you're like, yeah, you like to fish? And it's like, yeah, I like to fish. I didn't know if it was something like that. So, Oh, no, just... no, no. I, he was an easy conversion into fly fishing. It was like super easy to like get him converted. So there was no issue there. Well, there wasn't issue. I remember you said that we had a blast the first time out. I, it took me six weeks to get my first fish. So oh, yeah. it was and a that grueling was... endeavor. We maybe a little competitive so when I would kept catching fish and like I was just used to that it was it was kind of eating them away and then I think you got your first like pumpkin seed or something in a little creek right do not diss my pumpkin seed no I but that, I mean that's <laughs> yeah right? hey there's yeah. nothing wrong with pan fish no, <laughs> no, no, I still love it. anytime I have an hour or two I just want to put it in your ass to go for it. they are a blast yeah. yeah. And then from there, I mean, we, we escalated, man. We went from like little panfish and then within six months, uh, we got to the point where we would go down to the coast and go for reds and we would do this. Oh, nice. So mm -hmm. we, you know, here we are, we're like new couple going and traveling and enjoying and, uh, you know, doing all this fun stuff. And we actually, uh, we took some rods that we had. I had a, um, Sage RPL, uh, eight weight, which I loved. I still love it. Um, and Alex had, I think I, what did you take down there? It was a Cabela's little cheapy one that I bought that it wasn't anywhere near their top of the line kind of stuff. It was a budget deal I found on a rack, but I just, I needed something in that weight class. Yeah. So we take those down and we take our kayaks, which are not ocean kayaks by any means. So they were not, we were just not prepared for the coast at all, but we thought we'd go and try it. And, uh, Alex hooks onto this huge bull red, like, I don't know, just by, by chance. And so he goes and he hooks it. And here I am, I have my kayak behind me and I have it tethered and I'm the photographer, you know, like I'm trying to go and get a picture of him. He's wrestling with this red and all of a sudden the tip snaps. 
Oh Ugh. my gosh. It was so, it was awful. And so, I mean, at least I witnessed it, but that day, like Alex was like taking the line and like bringing it in and trying to like, at least hold on to him. And then what happened at the end? It was right as I was trying to heave it up into the boat. Uh, I pulled him up out of the water. He broke the line. I didn't have a good enough shock on it. And I just thought I never wanted to make this mistake again. Yeah. And then not, not 24 hours later, we were still down at the coast. I'm walking on the jetties down there in Port Aransas and I don't have the right shoes on. I just have like regular, like kind of rubber soled ones. And I don't realize how slick those are. I slip on a jetty with my Sage RPL and I just oh, no. snaps. So that was kind of the trip that we made the decision. We're like, you know what, if we, if the sport can get expensive. Um, if we can get to the point where maybe we can make our own, we could. And uh, I think the best thing was my dad was actually the one that kind of pushed him into that. And do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Uh, her dad is still probably one of the best anglers I've ever met in my life. This guy has fished all over the world. He is phenomenal. And so one day he just recommended, and he said, you know, you've got all these weird, quirky hobbies. If you can see my reloading equipment on the shelf back here. Uh, but he says, have you ever thought about trying to make a rod? And I thought, my God, that's crazy. I'm going to try it. And so it started with, uh, I just took an old cardboard box from one of the pieces of equipment that actually is over there. And I cut some bees in the side and ran some duct tape so it wouldn't scratch up the blank, found some cheap ones on eBay. And I'd start cranking out some rods and holy cow it was a blast i mean it's tedious sometimes but uh being able to customize it and make it just the way that you want it uh, for very singular purpose driven i make rods for specific fish on very specific waters uh, certain species uh you can get as anally retentive about it as you want or you can make it as easy as you want but i've been enjoying it ever since enough that we decided we wanted to try and sell some yeah so that's the perfect segue into you guys are laughing slot fly fishing <laughs> yeah. so yeah um i mean you guys you guys make custom rods and a lot of really cool stuff not just rods you you make shirts and hats and you're talking about rod socks yeah and um i saw a cat wearing socks today on the internet that was strange but like <laughs> like uh that's just, that's really cool. And not only that, I've had the chance to cast, I have one of your rods on my table right here. Um, uh, that's a top secret mission that we'll disclose later. Maybe, maybe that just stays between us. But um, the rods are fantastic. They really are. I mean, I'm a, I'm a subpar caster at best and it felt excellent you can pick something up whether you know anything about it uh you can pick up a golf club and be like man you know what that feels pretty good i don't know anything about golf but it feels good mm -hmm. it, you could do the same thing with one of your rods they are incredibly high quality and you can tell that you've put the time and effort not in just to making them beautiful but into making a really good product and that's huge high praise. Like yeah, we really appreciate we, that. We really appreciate that. And, you know, I guess the thing is, is like, we do put pride in it and, you know, whatever happens happens. But I think for us, it's about making it for the person, not making it for stock, I guess, for to store somewhere um, and maybe go, go and try and sell them. Like we, we truly, like we, you know, for us, we were talking about vision statements earlier is like, we really want to give people a chance to experience 
the good, the bad, and the ugly with, with fly fishing and give them a rod that they can handle and made for them to make the best experience possible. Because, you know, just like a golf club, just like anything, if your equipment's not good, then it doesn't make for a very good time. So we want to take that off somebody's plate and just be like, okay, I can trust my rod. Okay. I can go have some fun and then share the funny stories. I think that's the other thing for us is like, we have a lot of whoopsies and a lot of like issues, <laughs> but that's part of, for us, that's part of fly fishing. So, yeah. So y'all, y'all had the story about the reds, mm-hmm. um, but do y'all have a cumulative, another cumulative story about fishing that you guys would want to share? Uh, do you have one? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I actually made a pair of rods for us, one for her, one for myself. Hers was, uh, uh, we were, we were making them for striper fishing to go to Lake Texoma. We kept hearing about how phenomenal the fishing was up there. We decided, well, you know, if it's a lake, we don't really have a boat. And so we wanted to get a guy to take us around and come to find out there's only one guy who does, who's a fly guide up there on Texoma. By the name of Steve Holland said, I'll go ahead and give him a shout out. Cause he was just an absolutely stellar yeah. dude. But uh, we got there only to find out that uh, he is one of, I think, only 250 master casting instructors in the world for fly fishing. And so, of course, the moment I hear this, I say, oh, I got to get this guy to try these things out. I need, I need some, uh, some research in the field and, you know, get the real experts to handle it. And so uh, we, <laughs> I was trying to order parts really fast. I was running out of time. And so I ordered the wrong tip tops for these stupid rods. And so I couldn't, there was no way I could get these things in. I tried seeing if I could get them airlifted in, even at 30 bucks a pop just to get them because I wanted these things built and I wanted them ready to go. And I couldn't get them, just couldn't make the mountains move. And so I went to Academy and I got a rod repair kit for a conventional bait casting rod setup. And so I had to like put some duct tape on the tip of the rod so that way it would fit this oversized tip top. It was an ungodly mess, but I wanted to be able to take it down and fix it whenever we were done, but I needed to get on the water. And so we take it out there and I am just a nervous wreck about it, thinking this is not going to work. I'm going to lose fish because of it. She's not going to have a good time. (laughs) And they work. They work well enough. And so at the end of the day, uh, or I should say after the first morning run on fish, it died down. It it was a pretty hot day. It was late. But we got, I mean, to be honest, we got a lot of stripers that day, which was super fun. So Mm -hmm. And they, yeah, that was super cool. They handled like a dream. And so whenever the yeah. fishing died down, he took us off to the side. Like he just uh, anchored the boat near uh, just a tower or yeah. that's out on the water. And he says, all right, let's have a little casting lesson. Excuse me. And so he worked with us for about half an hour to an hour. And both of us easily added 10, 15 feet to our casting just from a brief time with him. Absolutely stellar teacher. <laughs> retired teacher if yeah, I recall. he is a retired teacher uh and that was amazing and so then at the end of the day as we're coming back in i said hey man can you do me a favor would you mind casting these yourself and telling me what you think what you like what you don't like and so he goes oh absolutely and so he parks it off in the marina and you know we've got this huge open water and so he just starts casting and i mean this guy can send it to the moon it was phenomenal watching him work and he lays it out all the way into the backing and beyond on uh, each of our rods and he reels him in, you know, he's been making comments the whole time. And finally, as he gets the line completely back in, he looks at me and I said, what do you think? You know, any criticism? He goes, there's this weird weight at the end of the oh, tip. Oh, I, I know. Go, we I know. We know. We know. We know. So it just, it was one of those, it was a testament to him. Like, obviously he's an expert and he knew that, but it also broke our hearts just a little bit because we were this close to like having the perfect rod 
and I mean they're they're great now so we got the tip tops mm-hmm. fixed but it was just one of those moments for us we're like we're this close we're this close mm-hmm. <laughs> so. but yeah that's when the when the masters pick it up they can tell you a good ride from a bad ride immediately and that was phenomenal going to the mesquite show where uh, unfortunately we didn't get to talk to you there but uh, we met a lot of really big names and really cool people in the industry and getting a chance to have the pros the guides the instructors just take our rods and try them out on the casting pool. And we got some great reviews. Myself, I'm a bundle of insecurities. I'm um, new to all this and, you know, I'm still nervous about getting our name out there and getting these products out there. But this was an excellent mark in our favor. Of, they loved them. Every yeah. 201, every pro there loved our rods when they tried them. It was super cool. Mm-hmm. And it just makes you realize like how big the world of fly fishing is, but also how small it is at the same time. And I don't know if you guys have experienced that at all. Like, you know, like for Brian and John, for you guys to meet and stuff like that. I mean, what, what kind of circumstances had to have happened for you guys to get in touch with each other? You, know? <laughs> you want to talk about that, John? That's <laughs> the, the story of love and vengeance. Yeah, vengeance and anger. <laughs> you, know, you, you want to tell that you tell it better than I do. You're like the storyteller from the Appalachian, you know. <laughs> I'll let I'll let you tell that one. <laughs> well, uh, they heard it recently, but um, a really Cliff Notes version is this fly shop in Texas pissed me off. I was at Walmart checking out, rant, just absolutely ranting and raving over voice messages to Brian. <laughs> And uh, like I was loud and I knew I was being loud because the lady in front of me was turning around like, oh, is this guy OK? <laughs> and uh, and uh, he's like, Dave, let's start a podcast. And let's just make it for everyone. All types of fishing doesn't matter. Let's just hear stories and give out <clears throat> the information people need. You know, like I bought waders for the first time last April. And I didn't know about waders. I didn't know about sizing. I didn't know about wading boots, whether I needed um, the ones without the little booties or the ones, you know, like you use for duck hunting and stuff. I was like, yeah, that's cool. And then he's like, make sure you get a wading belt. I was like, what's a wading belt? And then, you know, it was just, it was even, we just wanted to get that information out to everyone. But we met through a, um, a fellow he is, uh, let's say, acquaintance more or less. We we met him. He he was he started up this uh, this fly company, and he was getting a lot of traction and stuff. And Brian had a podcast uh, before this. Uh, it's still around. It's Brian's got a lot of good episodes on there. Um, and anyway, this this guy went on the, Brian's podcast, and uh, from there I started talking to Brian. I mean, me and Brian became what we are now. So that's working class fishing. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And so we talked about vision statements. Like, what's your guys' goal with this podcast? Um, you know, I thought about this the other day, and I think it's um, Brian. Brian said, Brian said a lot of really good stuff. <laughs> I'm saying a lot of bad stuff too. Yeah, uh, <laughs> okay, but um, we're keeping this PG, right? Uh, or G? This dude, is like I, Disney Plus. No, I think, dude, this is like old school Disney. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. we can hit. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. 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 You know, throw the guy off the roof at a Disney. Yeah. 
but yeah, you know, yeah. whoa. but you know um perceived inaccessibility is the most resounding statement that brian's ever said um on the podcast to me uh he's been a really good mentor and friend otherwise but he said there is a perceived inaccessibility in the fishing especially in uh fly fishing and in the bass world you know and you know, I, I see it differently here in the South than he does in the Pacific Northwest, but there's still this common denominator of assholes. And uh, you don't need everything to get on the water, but there are specific things you do need to get on the water and do it safely and have an enjoyable time. Mm-hmm. So if I had to shorten my vision for the podcast and where you class fishing down, I'd have to say um, to remove the stigma of the perceived inaccessibility, keep fishing affordable and continue to mentor and curate the sport. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's kind of near and dear to us as well. Of, uh, especially with me being as much of a newbie as I am and building on her experience has been so beneficial but one thing I did notice as a beginner fly fisher was you can read all that you want. You can talk to the guys at the shop. And they'll give you all the lists of you, you have to have these top 10 things to get started. Or, um, you know, as soon as you get the basics down, that next step of where do I go from here? I learned how to use my local creek or I learned how to fish on a pond that's near me. How do I step up from there? And there wasn't a lot of resources it felt that were easy to find or easy to get to. And no one really knows, well, do I really need to go out and buy a thousand dollar rod? Do I really need to have the, the finest hatch reels oh my gosh, uh, yeah. <laughs> to, to be able to go just lake fishing or go to another body of water? And I mean, you can talk to guides and they'll tell you about the flies they use and different casting techniques. But a lot of them, kind of like you say, they'll tell you the name of the thing that you need to know, but they won't say anything more about it. They just go, yeah, just, you know, get your double haul figured out. Well, if you're a new fisher, you don't know what that means yet. And so we kind of wanted to try and fill that niche of what's that next step? What's that intermediate level of, you got some basics, you got the cast kind of down. We're going to, we're all going to spend our lifetimes mastering it, but you know, you can, you can get out there and do some damage now. And so we wanted to build that kind of equipment that fits that next step for an angler. Yeah. And I, I think that's incredibly important and I'm just really glad you guys are doing that. Because literally exactly what you said, it's I'm brand new or I've been doing this for 50 years. And you should know better. Like, that's the other thing I see is like, oh, you're not an expert. Well, then you should know better. Oh, my gosh. Like, there's just no there's no investment in the next generation. It feels like, and maybe that's just like our perception of it. But it just seems like there's a lack of like next generation. Oh, go ahead, Brian. No, I, I go ahead and finish. I got, I got something to add to that. Yeah. That. And so for us, I mean, yeah, you get the young whippersnappers that are like doing the fly tying and they're like seven and eight, but then they get to their teenage years and like, there's no, the, the people that can afford to go to Florida key, you know, to the keys and like, go do that because they do a family vacations. There's, you just lose a lot of the next generation. And so for me, fly fishing has always been traditional but it's only a tradition if it gets passed on. And so to me, like, okay, what are we going to do for the next generation? And, you know, whether that is 
giving a run maybe for to help a younger kid get excited or whether that is like for me my students I'll take them with me to fly tying class just to get them exposed to it or you know the we're going this weekend to the Tarrant Regional Water District and they promote it as like an urban fly fishing deal I mean there's going to be people that want to not only be able to afford it but go take their kids and go do it and make it accessible to everyone, whether, you know, um, male, female, kid, whatever, you know, like everybody should have access to that. And um, John, we, we talked maybe last week a little bit about gatekeeping and it just feels like if we want to keep fly fishing a tradition, we have to give it to somebody. And so that would be the next generation. So why are we not doing that? Why are we not promoting that? And if we are promoting it, it's got to be accessible to everybody. That's what we think. So to add to what you're saying there, uh, you know, what, what I found, and, and I live in a totally different region. Holly, where, where were you from originally, Holly? So I was born and raised in a little tiny town called Kremlin, Colorado. So um, Grand County might be a better location for some people or um, Steamboat Springs, um, Silverthorne, Winter Park. Like if you were to triangulate all of those, Kremlin is like right in the center of all of that. But, you know, I also grew up on the Colorado River, the Blue River, um, access to unbelievable fishing that people would literally kill for. And I didn't yeah. realize it until I moved what I what I had. But that was that same thing is like I had access that a lot of people did not have access to. And so right. yeah, that's where I grew up. Well, so we're, we're talking about passing on, uh, you know, specifically fly fishing right now to the next generation. And I think about fishing in, in general and, and what I see in, in our fishing culture here in the Pacific Northwest, because we literally have water everywhere. There, it's everywhere here. We have rivers and trib, you know, we have estuaries, trib rivers, ocean, the lakes, all that stuff. And there's so many places for people to fish, yet a lot of people tend to congregate in, you know, the closest population centers. I mean, we have a major metropolitan city where salmon run through, you know, Chinook salmon. So why, yeah. what would be stopping people from doing that? The, the, the problem that I see a lot of is, is that unlike ourselves, where we maybe had a parent that would, uh, you know, expose us, take us out, show us the right and wrong, now you don't have that. It's the same thing with uh, 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 soft, not soft skills, but like mechanical skills, mechanical inclination. That, that, that integral part of, of that in-home learning is gone. So you have a lot of people now that are like, hey, I really want to try fishing. Do I know anybody that fishes? And it's like, well, no, I don't, but I can go on YouTube and learn how to fish. And you start watching these really popular YouTubers and they, they're showing you like, oh, you go get this and you go get this. And, and to some of their credits, some of them advertise some really uh, affordable stuff, stuff that you can go down to the local store and buy and get started. And that's great. That's fantastic. Um, and, and that's you need that kind of thing. But when it comes to putting the rubber to the road and actually getting out and doing it, it's a totally different thing. And a lot of those things like the etiquettes and, and you know, like low holing or snagging or, you know, things of that nature that, that come inherently, especially when you have, uh, you know, migratory fish runs and things like that, where you have a lot of people fishing. There's nobody out there to really foster and nurture the, the good sportsmanship and, and that. Uh, and so it becomes a, a real barrier for a lot of people that want to try 
in, in our case, salmon or steelhead fishing. Those are those are two different things. Bass fishing here, you know, it, it's one of those things. It's becoming more popular because a lot more people from the Midwest and the East Coast are moving here. But uh, you know, there's there's a lot of gatekeeping with salmon, trout, and steelhead fishing here. Uh, we do have blue ribbon rivers. We have rivers that have 28 to 30 inch uh, bull trout or dollies at steelhead they're they're insane uh salmon are insane sturgeon are insane you know but it, it takes having somebody that really knows what they're doing to help you to get to those fish but it, it, it gets gate kept because it's like no you have to you know if you want to go catch sturgeon you got to go get a 22 foot d-hole sled so you can go out in columbia river you got to run, you know, a $450 combo, uh, and then you got to put an 85 pound braid, 130 pound Dacron leader, seven knot hooks, whole shad. Um, and, and that's so you can go play with eight to 12 foot fish. And then, um, you know, salmon and steelhead, you have to have a $400 trolling combo, a boat with a trolling motor, all this other stuff. That's not all true. And, and, but there's nobody out there to really debunk it. You know, it's not like, oh, I can go buy $5 worth of spinning glows, three knot hooks some weight and go out and plunk for fish or you know that that gatekeeping happens a lot and it's because there's a lot of kids now and a lot of younger people that are just basically learning how to fish from youtube there's no physical mentorship to that mm -hmm. fly fishing you know john told you how we got this whole thing started fly fishing here it gets downright ugly and nasty and and it's not it's not cool how things happen here you have, I, I, I'm going to say, I, I think I've said this a million times, but I think I have like six or seven fly shops within 20 minutes of my house. That's how many fly shops are here. Oh, and yeah. A lot of people are like, oh man, I wish I had that. Uh, average working person can't go into those fly shops because it, unless you have a credit card with a 15 to $30,000 limit, you can't go in there. They don't, they won't even look at you. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, well, you know, how much do you want to spend? Well, I want to spend a couple hundred bucks to get started. They're like, yeah, go over to the Orbis store and get a piece of crap from there. It's like, but that's actually a nice rod, you that's know, or, you know, I, I, it's like, you know, oh, well, you know, if you don't get the zero weight stage, you know, you're just wrong. You know, I've heard that said before, you know, for like panfish, and it's like, that's a freaking little bluegill, you know, really, we can go out and catch it with strings and sticks. <laughs> The bad part about what's really happened around here, which I'm glad that you guys are debunking is, is that, and, and, and working towards improving is that there's a lot of gatekeeping and, and it's to keep people out because for whatever reason, people think that if we scare these people away, we're going to have all the fish to ourselves until they die. And there's nobody else left to really fish for it. And then you've just basically condemned, you know, a, a, a part of our culture, yeah. essentially to, to die. That's, that's the bad part. You're, you're condemning it and it has no access. So yeah. Anyways, I wanted to add that. I know that drug on forever, but no, okay. no. And that's the thing for me, like as an educator, like we, there is this next generation, they're insane. Like they, they want to know everything, but they also as a generation have the most access to the most information out there. And so when you tell them, Hey, let's go do this. They're going to research it. They're going to figure it out. But they don't, like you said, they don't have that actual physical role model in their lives to go take them. And so to make it accessible to them, and there's, you know, there's only so much that everybody can actually do, but, you know, bringing up your point, like 
um, talking about good sportsmanship. Well, if you don't teach them who's going to like, they got to learn sometime. And so if you teach the next generation about that, then they're the ones that are going to be turning 18 and voting. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of those bills that are coming in talking, you know, like the, what was the SB something you guys might have to help me out on that. The one that was in Florida that was talking mm-hmm. about the, the fishing in Florida and issues with that. Uh, we, we have one that's right now a petition initiative or an initiative petition here in Oregon to basically ban fishing, hunting, anything to do with even photography, with wildlife, owning pets, anything else. It, it's Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. So for us, it was more about like, you know, conservation and making sure that like kids don't know until they know. And so, you know, if they're like, well, I'm not going to take these kids because they're going to be ruining all this stuff. They actually really care. Like mm-hmm. a lot of like my kids, they care about like the classes that they're taking. They care about like my little environmental science and, you know, just a, a testament to my kids. I mean, we live in a like, or at least I teach in a very low socioeconomic school where kids are lucky to get out of their apartments. And so yeah. to talk about the environmental issues and like how we can conserve and, you know, talking about whether you know, like what is hunting? And like, we get to talk about that and have that discussion. And, you know, you have kids are like, why would I hunt? And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like that's actually a really great way to conserve and maintain populations. And so like going back and forth on that, but I'm, I'm the only AP environmental science teacher on our campus and we have like 2000 kids. So I can only impact a very small amount, but I, and I'm not going to put it on organizations, but I do think that it is a responsibility as a business owner to promote, like I was saying, like that next generation because they want to. And mm-hmm. I think for the future, like if we want to have a future, like they're going to be the ones that are going to be eventually taking care of us. So they are the ones that need to be informed and understand. And until they get at that information, they're going to do what, what they do, what they want. And, you know, unless they're informed, but they're going to make informed decisions. And mm-hmm. I definitely see that in our next generation, whether everybody likes them or not, but they have the most access to the most information and they really have a lot of power that they are ready to wield. And so direct them and show them and let guide them to that. You know, Kelly Gallup, um, I'm a huge fanboy, Um, but he said, uh, you know, they were, they were talking about the future generations. And then uh, his buddy actually drew this picture. They're out at a bar, like just stone rage and blind drunk, just talking mad crap with each other. And his buddy drew this picture. And for the life of me, I can't remember the name of it, but it was depicting the old angler with the new. And he drew like this guy going out there with his, you know, his like, I don't know, his like leather hat and his his vest and his bamboo fly rod and all this stuff. And then the new angler was the dude in shorts, flip-flops and had uh, beer in his uh, waiting like sling pack and his <laughs> fly rod kicked over his shoulder. You know, it's it is a different environment now for fishing than it was back then. But I think it's moving in a positive direction um pending social media of course but um fishing itself i think is moving in a positive direction um you're seeing more and more and this isn't just a fly fishing podcast but you're seeing more and more fly anglers now 
that it's not all these dudes out there smoking cigars on sandbars, having, having steaks grilled for them for their guide trip. You know, it's like, uh, Riley, Riley, he's, I mean, he's probably around my age, but he's a guide and he absolutely slays out on like steelhead and then he guides up in alaska and stuff like that and the dude's like mega chill like incredibly chill like i don't i don't think he's got a a bone in his body that's not chill like yeah it i mean brian went out with him brian you you can tell him about that but well to me and and i i really enjoy being you know talking with guides and stuff like that um and the guides around here this is the the paradox so you 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 guys make rods you make rod socks you make accessories and and you make really cool stuff for people to get out and fish and that and, and and but you're warm and welcoming with what you do and 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 it's like hey this is for anybody everybody this is cool stuff you're not gonna you know sit there and shun and shove somebody away the guides around here are a lot like that. Now, some could say maybe they're they're a bit narcissistic in some aspects. Some might even say that they're you know expert manipulators in in, in uh, a lot of ways. But they're actually really nice guys. And and the cool part about all of them is is that they'll actually tell you how to catch fish. They won't tell you where the fish are. But they're like, yeah, on that river, do this. And it's like, all right, I'll try that. Boom, you catch fish. And it's like wow, that's a miracle, you know, uh, it, it's, it, and it's some of the s- most simple stuff ever, but this is what I'll say about Riley. Riley, uh, my wife and I went out fishing with him. My wife never caught a steelhead before. I, I mean, anything bigger than like a stock or rainbow trout. And I hooked the first fish and it's like in this little tiny chute next to the drip boat. And I reeled that one up. I hand my wife off this, uh, this, uh, Celted, you know, steelhead. He, he wasn't able to spawn. And he's just blowing milt everywhere. And Riley's just like, whoa, man, don't let it shoot all over my boat. You know, I mean, it was just <laughs> kind of like that. And as I kicked back and then uh, my wife hooks the third one and it's a big hen. It's like a 12 or 13 pound fish. And it's just ripping drag and bouncing down. And he's kicked back over there. He's just smiling ear to ear. He's like, maybe we should stop for lunch afterwards. And she's over there. She's like, I got a big fish, you know? So my wife's melting down and he's kicked back like this. He's like, you want to net it, Brian? And he's just like watching this whole thing, smiling like, you know, he looks like the Joker. And uh, then we stop and then we just start floating down the river. He's got cold pizza and a rock star. He's just sitting there eating and drifting down. And I'm, I'm all like, where's the next fish at? You know? And he's like, you know what I noticed is if you get all like worked up about fish, you'll never catch them. So I just like to kick back. And we're just like floating down the river and you know, that, that's just the way he is. But, but yeah. the dude knows how to catch fish and he knows how to catch a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of like the last guy I went with uh, Logan um it, he's young he's excitable but but he's so much fun to be around and he he's like hey let's get breakfast before we go and i'm like ready to go jump into the boat and i'm like yeah let's go get steelhead you know and and he's all like oh i want to have some like bacon and eggs and uh i gotta sell some super baits to some dude and i, I mean it's it's just like that's the way the guides are around here they're like yeah we'll go catch some fish and you know so they're like totally cool but then you go like roll into a fly shop and they're like oh yeah, uh, you know, uh, you got to get like G four waiters and all that, or else you know you're you're a piece of crap. And it's like, how does that work? You know, I mean, come on. No, and, I, I don't mean, know. I just you turn away so many people doing that, and maybe that's what their that's what their intention is. I can't attest to that, but 
yeah, yeah, weird vibes. I mean, vibes just walking in will definitely like trigger a lot of people. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's not, I guess to me, it's like, that just doesn't seem reasonable. Like that just doesn't seem necessary, I guess. No, it's just, it's just kind of the culture here. Like, but if I go over to Ben uh, as, um, for example, and so Ben has, uh, you know, three, four, five, well, three good rivers in the vicinity, three to four, yeah, somewhere in, in the vicinity. And when I say vicinity, 100-mile radius, Bend, Oregon. But then you have all the Cascade Lakes. So then you, you throw on a lot of other water bodies. There's three fly shops in Bend. Uh, there's one uh, in the little um, resort village called Sun River to the south. I've only went in there once, and I kind of went in, and I turned around walked back out because you get that vibe. It's like, eh. I went into the one down at the old mill district in Bend, which is like downtown, super cool guys. I was like, oh, hey, you know, you guys aren't jerks, you know? Yeah, I'll buy some stuff here. So you, you buy, you know, a couple of things and you're like, what's working? They're like, oh, you know, some of those Elk Air Caddis and some of this. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll buy some of those because you guys were cool, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's just like, you guys were cool. You, you weren't being jerks or anything else. And then you go over and drool all over like the $500 reels. And it's like, yeah, it's cool to drool over them. Do you need it? No, but you know, they, they still look cool. Um, but yeah, you get that weird vibe. Yeah, but I mean, when, when you find the people who don't give you that kind of vibe, like you say, the ones that are warm and inviting, I mean, that, <laughs> that keeps us coming back time and time again, just to visit. And uh, we got a really cool guy, he's an Englishman at our local Orvis here in Fort Worth. That he is a trip. Of uh, he started off at a smaller uh, store. I think they were a little bit of a chain, but uh, they were doing fly tying classes, and they give you the supplies, and they just kind of encourage you to get your own equipment. Or uh, after the first couple of classes, and they but, gave you free beer. I think oh, that's yeah, important. That's important. Oh, that's beer. cool. That's yeah. important. That. But it was yeah. that was something <laughs> that like he really led the charge on, and it was a blast, and that really got us into fly tying. And then whenever he got off of the position at the Orvis, we followed him over there. No real loyalty to brands specifically, but to that guy, because yeah. he is just absolutely a trip. We love him. And so we always have to go uh, com compete with photos and stories whenever we go talk to him. And he is an absolute trip. And he's actually the one that had recommended us the place where we went fishing on the coast uh, for, and that's how I got hooked into my redfish that changed my life was he was telling us because I guess he had hired a guide, but he was willing to share with us a couple of spots that they had had some good luck with. And so he just kind of dropped pins on our Google maps or whatever. And so we went down there with our kayaks and, uh, we ended up having good luck just because he was willing to share that, even though yeah. we didn't pay for that information. He did, mm -hmm. he was still willing to help us out. And again, uh, from a conservation standpoint, we didn't we don't harvest fish we're pretty much catch and release we're not big on seafood so we're not taking from the population we try and handle them as carefully and safely as possible so that fish gets to be caught next year maybe he's even bigger by then and so uh just working with anglers like that you can share info you can even share spots to a certain extent if you trust them but if you're a good angler and you're following good ethics and you're big into conservation you're not hurting the water to be out there and you get to pay attention to the, the ecosystem and the health of your body of water yeah. and be part of that contribute instead of taking from it. Yeah. Um, Brian, I was going to ask you, um, so up in the Pacific Northwest, um, mm -hmm. what is your public versus private land situation? Like, is there more public than private or more private than public up there? Um, there's definitely a lot more public land in the West. Uh, and, and that's from the standpoint of, uh, well, so Let's look at all the entities that are involved. So you have U.S. Forest Service, 
mm -hmm. uh, Bureau of Land Management, uh, state forestry, uh, so the state forests, um, and, and then you also have like Oregon Department of Oregon, Oregon Parks and Recreation. I, I was going to call it the Oregon Department of Parks and Recreation. Maybe that's <laughs> what it is. But, but you have your parks and recreation. So you have a lot of public land. Like if I look at my Onyx, uh, so I don't know if you guys use Onyx or we not. Do. We have to because there's so, and that's what yeah. led me to this question. There's so much private in Texas, like we're afraid, you know, like we're in Texas, we're afraid of our, you know, stepping on someone else's property without permission. So we right. have to work, we have to worry about that, but continue on. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a lot of public land access. And one thing I will say, so nobody in Oregon owns one square centimeter of beach whatsoever. It's against the law. Even though you could look at Onyx and there's like condo associations at different like places and they'll have the beachfront condos, which by the way, if you're, if you own a condo at the coast, I don't know what's wrong with you, but when that tsunami comes, you're going to get sent into orbit. So, uh, but they have those beachfront houses. Um, it says they own out to the surf. They, they don't own out to the surf. It, it's a really bizarre thing with tax lots and things like that. However, Nobody owns any part of the Oregon coast. It's all publicly owned. So anybody, anytime, anywhere, as long as there's a public access point, can go out onto the beach and go out there. Uh, the, so here in the Northwest, uh, same with uh, the Washington coast. I, uh, as far as I know, nobody can own any part of that. Um, all of the inland uh, estuaries, tidal waters, all that, they're all public. All navigable waterways are public here. Uh, uh, below the mean high water mark. So, and, and navigable waterways is kind of a contested subject because if you go by the early 1900 standard before we put in hydroelectric and flood mitigation dams, that would mean that the navigable waterway would be able to transport logs in our case, because we do a lot of timber, you know, it's a lot of lumber up here. It, it would have been able to float logs and other raw natural resource down so that opens up a big spectrum of a lot of smaller rivers that you'd be like, well, you can't get a barge or a ship up that river. Well, it wasn't necessarily a, a ship or a barge. It could be a log raft coming down or, you know, it was something of that nature. So there is a lot of open public land here and they're attempting to buy more and more from private owners for public access, especially around rivers. I, I like, uh, um, I won't, I won't say how epic some of these rivers are, but the Deschutes River, uh, have you guys ever heard of that river? Yes, absolutely. Like we, so, we met a guy on a river down here in Texas who came from that area and just said it was getting like, the population was insane. It was exploding or whatever, but it is. Tell us about all of the, all of the fish and all of the, just the ecosystem there. And he said it was insane. I mean, yes. Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to yeah. say the, the state record whitefish and pending world record just came off the Deschutes. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah, it's a slob. It was a, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a total slob. Uh, I think it was at five and a half pounds or something like yeah. that. I mean, I've, I've caught some big, I've caught some big whitefish and I thought I was hooked into like a, a coho salmon. So, I, but it was no five and a half pound whitefish. <laughs> Anyways, the lower Deschutes River. So uh, it, let's start at the town of um, uh, uh, Madras. That's that's kind of the start point. Lake Billy Chinook down. So you have Lake Billy Chinook, which is where the Metolius feeds in, the middle of the Chutes, the Crooked River, 
all these uh, and the metolius is a fly fishing only river huge huge uh, uh bull trout if you can trick them anyways you start there that entire reservoir is open to the public it's owned by portland general electric but one arm the metolius arm up to a certain boundary is owned by warm springs uh, uh the confederated tribes of warm springs that's part of the reservation okay you go down below that and you extend out and you have the entire stretch of warm springs on the west side of the river. They own and basically control all of the stream ecology of the Deschutes in that section. So if they say we don't want fishing because we want passage for salmon and steelhead, nobody fishes that section. But for, basically from uh, the town of Maupin to the mouth, the BLM the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, Oregon State Parks, uh, and, and all those folks have bought pretty much every piece of riverside land all the way through there. They put in campgrounds, hiking trails. You can start in Maupin if you want to go roll some class three and four rapids all the way down to the mouth at Moody, where it discharges into the Columbia River. And you have like 80 miles of nothing but public land, canyons, uh, bighorn sheep. It, it's insane. It, it's the I grew up on the river, so I don't have the appreciation, but I try to I try to build my appreciation up when I tell people about it because it used to just be we're going camping on the Deschutes and it's an hour and a half from home and people are all like, I can't believe you live an hour and a half from the Deschutes. That's like one of the biggest blue ribbon rivers in the world. You yeah. can go catch steelhead on streamers there. It's like, eh, you know. Oh, I, <laughs> that's how I, bad it is. I, I share that experience with you. I mean, like I said, we yeah. uh my family, we uh, worked on a working cattle ranch uh, on the Colorado River. And so I got to work with like my family and we hired a bunch of conservation um, analysts and my dad worked with them. And like we did like a diversion and made sure that it worked with all the spawning of all the, you know, the trout that are going through there. And so like I, I, I now appreciate it more. And the reason that I asked that is because here in Texas, complete opposite. Oh my gosh. Like us, like for us, the accessibility is slim mm -hmm. to none. And we, we have the toughest time going and enjoying stuff because when they stock trout down here, they have a hatchery, uh, just, uh, below the possum kingdom dam and they'll take those trout and they load them up and then they go and disperse them into ponds, into little areas. Well, everybody knows exactly where they drop them off because they make that public knowledge. Totally fine for that. Just everybody hits that the day that those fish are literally coming down the shoe of the truck, they're just mm -hmm. scooping them up with nets and like scooping them up or putting them on lines and stuff. So for us, our accessibility is one of, I think, our biggest hindrances. Like we, there's no public land. We tried to go to, uh, what was it called? The Guadalupe River down in Austin. And we were looking for browns because they actually, the limestone formation causes that uh, deep trenches and it's cold enough to keep browns and they're beautiful. So beautiful. But we had mm -hmm. to buy a, a parking pass at an RV park to get access to the water. And then once you're in the water, you could only go so far because then there's wires hanging across saying that this is private land. And so it is totally different here in Texas. And so for us, I think yeah. that's, that was such a huge difference between Colorado and Texas is because to me, I'm like, Oh, let's just, you know, we throw in a pole and let's go fishing. And here we have to do that, that on X and we have to be like, okay, what's public, what's private. And then mm -hmm. you know, even though it might be a public area, it's still owned by somebody and you still have to pay to get permission just to, to go fish. It's, it's yeah. bonkers here. It's crazy.
Yeah, I think somebody once told me it, uh, we're 80% private owned here in Texas. So like all the land, out of all the land available, 80% of it's private. That's a big state. That's, huh. that's a big 80%. That's, yeah, that's a lot of land. Yeah, don't yeah. take that for gospel. That was just uh, hearsay. But I mean, it, it sounds pretty accurate from our experience. And yeah, the, the water system may be accessible, but to get to it, that's the trick is you got to cross the property. Yeah. So when you back, find a good spot. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh no, you're up. You're up. Sorry. Um, I just cut you guys off. I feel really bad about that. No. Okay. Um, there's a there's a little shop on the Guad that uh, they offer parking there and then access to the river. Um, if you're a TU member, it's free parking. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we found little shops here and there, and we ended up settling with the, the RV park that we found. But there's a couple of places like that. But I mean, even the little park stretches, campsites, and everything it's it's pay to play in a lot of places and so uh, yeah. there just wasn't a ton of access uh there was a couple of ways but that was kind of disappointing but you know we also it was our first time into the new brunfels area uh we were just trying to kind of uh, we like trying new restaurants breweries wineries things like that so fortunately we could still make a trip out of it but yeah it was kind of eye-opening to see just how much of the riverbank is owned and like she said at, after i went up to colorado a few times with her and see people literally pitching a tent on a lot on the side of the road wherever they want to go because there's just so much public land and so much that you could do i was blown away i grew up here in texas i know knew no different until we started seeing all the cool things that you can do of just the the free parking spaces that then yeah you might have to hike to the river but you know the river is yours for the the wandering as long as you're being careful and not just like uh overpressuring fish things like that and being respectful of other anglers, it was so impressive that it can be done. I mean, it can be made accessible to a huge number of people if yeah. done properly. Yeah. So down here for us, that's, you know, that's why we go to the coast. It just makes it accessible. Like we can go to the coast and go get a ton of stuff. There's so many species and that, you know, there is so many species here in Texas and it's just, it's about where can you get on the water? That's what we, we struggle with the most. At least that's what I feel. And John, you can chime in on where you're at and if that's an issue. Oh no, it's, at. I mean, it is, I mean, I am, I'm 10 minutes roughly from <clears throat> Lake Wright Patman, um, which uh, feeds into the sulfur but the sulfur is a diverging river off of the red so it's kind of weird um like all the way down in arkansas louisiana you'll see parts of the red and then you'll see where the sulfur river connects into it but you know i've got the sulfur river i've got a uh <laughs> this really bizarre like runoff drainage little lake and then lake right patman and you know those are fun to fish and all but with those being public waters, which is great. I'm not saying public water is bad. Um, mm -hmm. They're just incredibly pressured mm -hmm. and it's, it's really tough fishing. Um, so I go into Arkansas. <laughs> it's, I mean, I live on the border. It's, it's the logical solution for me because I'm a trout bum, but the accessibility is absolutely an issue um, because we are so limited these fisheries are incredibly pressured yeah and uh honestly i mean not that texas parks and wildlife listens to this but they're really poorly managed um to be quite frank about it um even our trout stocking this year was absolutely horrendous 
<clears throat> we we had 4,800 trout over two stockings put into our local pond uh, here in the middle of the town. And literally I had bank anglers like fishing marshmallows and night crawlers and power yeah. bait. They didn't catch anything is the thing. They didn't catch anything. They kept asking me, I guess, cause I fly fish. They're like, Hey, did they, did they stock trout? I was like, dude, I've caught one. I, I mean, they had to have stocked them cause I've caught one, but they definitely didn't put 4,800 fish in this one acre pond yeah you should have seen them teaming like at the top you know you would have seen something yeah but there's there's nothing there's there oh. there were no fish there and i called texas parks and wildlife and i said hey did you guys stock um spring lake park which is the park here and they're like uh yeah yeah we stocked it so like, oh shit um really just kind of uh, i still I still want answers for that. Not because I'm like, I pay for a fishing license. I need answers, which you can do because I mean, they work for you, but I want answers specifically because there are no fish there. What happened? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, uh, my little scientific brain, um, I don't know if you guys ever heard of science on the fly. Um, so you, you're a fly fisherman and you can like sign up and you get to be a part of this team. And every time you go fishing, you collect some water samples. And you get to test it and then you send it to um, a local testing facility that they approve of, get those numbers. And then we can kind of see the changes in the water as you get to go fish and start seeing those changes. And I, part of me wonders how much they monitor because for me, I'm like this, you know, the place that we go trout fishing, like on the Brazos looks fishy. I mean, it's got the beautiful ripples. It's got sandbars. It's got everything I'm looking, I'm like, this looks like Colorado for just a brief moment. Like this looks good. And when I start seeing algae blooms and I start seeing like that, I mean, I'm not saying they have to manage the river, but I am saying that there's something going on with the ecology. And when they just dump fish, I mean, it's a suicide mission for those poor fish. And that it breaks my heart a little bit because once again, I just feel like there is a missing link that I, I just, we're so close. I think we could really do something cool. And I don't know what power we have, but it would be something that we would like to be a part of. And that's, that's something that I'd like to look into maybe like during my summer breaks and stuff is looking into, to what's going on there. So keep that in mind, John. And I'll, if I get some time during the summer, we'll, we'll start looking into that. I think that would be a cool, interesting piece. And yeah, another thing too, is, you know, like navigable waterways here in Texas, uh, completely different. Um, yes. <laughs> you, you have to have a captain's license uh, to guide navigable waterways in the state of Texas. So mm -hmm. your Lake Texoma guide um, is also a captain. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, you know, reading and studying about all that stuff prior to getting my guide's license. It was pretty intimidating. Um, I was like, do I do I have to get a captain's license? So then now you're doing all this quick and dirty research is, is this river navigable? Uh, if the answer is no, then you're, you're clear. But if it's yes, then you cannot guide that river without a captain's license or you will be paying some absolutely ridiculous fines. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. So it's definitely, I, I'm glad Brian's on to like speak to the different areas because we got Colorado, we got Texas, and then we got the Pacific Northwest. Now we're going to have to find someone on the East Coast to 
to chime in a little bit. It's just, it's fascinating to me to learn all the different areas, especially if we haven't been there yet. We're going to, and maybe Brian will be gracious enough to host us someday, but. Oh um, yeah. Just come on up. I'll, <laughs> I'll, show, I'll show you stuff that blow your mind. Oh my gosh. So tell me about the rods that are in the background there. What do you got? If you don't mind me asking. Oh, let's see. I got, I got a couple Maxons in here because uh, I'm, I'm uh, you know, kind of a Maxon guy. So I got a stone fly, uh, four weight. Then I got a, uh, um, I got a, a Falcon uh, 10 weight. That's my salmon and steelhead rod. Yeah. I do a lot of my, I, I nymph for them and I'll throw streamers too. Let's see. I got a lamb and glass red line here that's set up for steelhead drift fishing. I got a couple of Shimano scimitars. Uh, one of them set up for uh, spin casting with uh, spoons and spinners. Another one, well, yeah, that one's got a spin caster. The other one's a spinning reel setup that I got there. And then up on the ceiling, I got a couple more fly rods and three, uh, let's see, three, four bait casting trolling rods and a couple float rods for uh, salmon steelhead. So, yeah. It's. I it's tough. I mean, it's tough to keep it all in line in it. <laughs> like you it is, well, real fast. And then oh I got God. a rack over here. That's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. 10 more rods on it that are have all various natures and sizes and shapes. So yeah, I think I got like 25 or 30 rods here. And awesome. <laughs> these ones I just have down because, uh, uh, I'll, I'll go up to a place I call the R and D lab. And, um, if you guys <laughs> ever watch any of the, the videos on YouTube, I go up there and I try different things because it's stocked with massive trout and, and they're really, they're not stupid. Um, they're not smart, but they're just really angry. There's just something about them. They attack everything in sight. So if John like ties a nymph and it's like, Hey dude, I want to get this with a fish, you know, in a fish's mouth, I'll go up and catch like a 24 inch trout and uh, just have it thrash my rod to death. And I'll be like, Hey dude, check this out. They're just angry fish. Uh, uh, spoon fishing, uh, they, 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 it just absolutely drives them nuts. Um, mm -hmm. Nymphing, dry flies, they're, they're starting to pop on midge hatches now here. And then um, they really, uh, I, I've got a couple on woolly buggers, uh, but, but for whatever reason, they're, they're really in the balanced leeches. That's when you get the toads, the slob fish, they're like five or six pounds. So um, I keep all these rods ready to go because I'll just tell my wife, I'll be like, all right, you know what? I'm, I'm heading up to the lake. I'm going to go spend a couple hours up there. It's 20 minutes from my house. I'll just buzz up there and I'm up there tossing flies and enjoying myself. Yeah. And sometimes she joins me. So, and, okay. and she goes yeah, up that's there. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes my daughter joins me. So now are they spin casters it. or are they fly casters? Or both? So my wife, my wife, uh, she's, she's learning how to cast, but you know, I have a nymphing rod with the indicator on it right now. Mm -hmm. So that's probably not the best thing to learn how to cast with, but she was, <laughs> she caught up in that lake. I, I was like, well, just go fish over here. It's kind of half frozen. I was like, well, fish over here. She's like, well, I don't mind. She's standing up there on the dock and she's, you know, doing the arcing, like she's arcing the cast. You're like, no, straighten that, walk your wrist, you know? And she's like, I don't care. She casts out and it, the indicator goes down she strips that's like she's just like jacking like a you know a steelhead boom you know the thing just stops and she's like oh god i got a big fish and you just see this flash that's like 29 inches on the side whop 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 snaps off the tippet she's oh. like no oh like, my god <laughs> and then she she proceeds to catch like a couple 19 inch fish and then I went over there i'm like well screw this i'm i'm fishing like a lower lake they're both fire suppression ponds and so I'm fishing in the lower one that's bigger. I'm getting like little stalkers. I'm like, screw this. I'm going to go over there. I, I, and I had the only other rod I had was my steelhead rod. It's a good thing. 
I had zero X tippet on and I put on a nymph that John had tied and the, and the bobber, it, you know, the, the indicator drains, I strip and it goes like that. And I'm like, Oh, this is a big fish. And it went under the ice. And luckily the ice was thin enough that when my tippet went through it, it sliced through the ice. I should okay. have had a video going but I just horsed the fish back up and I showed her and it was like missing half of its tail. I posted it on Instagram, but it was, a, I was like, what is going on with this fish? And I reel it up and it's like, it's tail got ripped off. I think they were, they're triploid. So they don't technically spawn where they're sterile, but yeah. they still try to spawn. And I think that all these fish, these, just these horses are like fighting each other in the lake trying to spawn. Oh yeah. Fun, fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I keep all these rods behind me and I'm like, uh, I get, I get bored. I'm like, I'm going to go fish for a little bit or I live a mile from the river. So I just go down there. Well, I have two rivers that I live a mile from. So I got the big river and I got the little river and I little river. I'll go fish steelhead, big river. I'll fish salmon and sturgeon when they're running. Look at him just flexing. Look at him. Like I said, we got tons of water. Yeah. When summer comes around, it'll be bass. That, that's, you know, small mouth everywhere. Yeah. And panfish. Dude, you, you absolutely tore up smallies last year. And <laughs> I think the most the most panfish flies I've ever sold in my life is to Brian because he yeah. he is a panfish monster. Like <laughs> I love it. it you is. gotta be quick on the draw with those little guys when they bite. Oh geez, well I, it's it's ridiculous. Like John's like, dude, bluegill can fight. And I'm like, I know they can fight. That's why I try to catch them all the time because <laughs> the trout just kind of like, uh, you know, they just kind of side flop, and everybody's like, how can you be so so dastardly towards a majestic trout? It's like I've only caught like a million of them in my life, uh, but a panfish, I don't know. That, that little seven inch fish will peel drag. That's the thing yeah. that it gets they, me. They, I'm they just over there. I'm giggling. You just giggle because it's like <laughs> like that. You're like, <laughs> look at that. It's going across the lake. It's like racing around and everything. I love it. It's, it oh, yeah. They, they have no that? pattern whatsoever. So like, it's not like you yeah. fish the bubble line or anything like that. You just got to find the rocks. And those little suckers will dart, get your flight, and then just take off. And you're like, what is happening? You didn't even know they well, were there. That's the other fun part. They are so that, good at hiding. You have no idea well, they're uh, there. The other one is, is when you hook one and you're getting ready to haul, you're like, ah, oh, stupid fish. And then it goes flying through the air, you know, attached to your hook. Oh, that, that was absolutely one of my favorites. This one caught my hook and he just bolted straight away from me. And I just had the line pinched against the rod and I was just watching him go for a minute. And he got to the point where the rod was flexing and then just got overpowered. And out he comes out the surface of the water, catapulted. Poor little guy. But man, they've got spirit. I love those oh, little Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I love them. I mean, I, I would rather catch like a million bluegill than one trout. I don't know why that is, but you know, everybody's like, oh, I want to go catch trout. And I was like, eh, you know, I, I'd rather go catch bluegill. Number one, the, the in, most intriguing thing personally to me, and maybe that, this works for John, but they come up and it's like that when they okay. grab the fly. And I'm like, Wah! yeah, like, yeah, they don't mess you know, around. Yeah. No, they don't. They like, I, I think Steve Rinella on the meat eater, I was listening to one of his episodes, and what do you say? He said some guy said he was laying shirtless down on a dock and then bluegill came up and like grabbed him by the nipple or something like that. I was like, <laughs> I would love to see that. I'd love to see a bluegill just come up and like, like that. Just <laughs> trying to pry out the dock, you know, like that, you know. Oh, yeah. I would, I, I'd pay money to watch that. They're just such opportunistic deals. I'll never forget. <laughs> we had this cute little stream that we just 
we get a chance to go to, we park at the church parking lot that no one's ever there. And we just dive over this little bank and it's just, it's so cute. But, um, you know, we're trying new rods or we're trying new flies. We're just like, okay, let's experiment a little bit. So mainly I would focus on like, okay, I'm going to work on my casting today. So I go and I go and I'm like, okay, so I get to the point where I don't think anything's going to bite. And so I'm getting ready to pull it out of the water. And sure enough, that little sucker will bite. And one time I grabbed it and it just like flung it behind me because they're light enough that you know i'm like okay i'm gonna start yeah back and i just see this streak going across i'm like oh i'm so sorry you know just felt <laughs> bad <laughs> there's kamikaze man uh, they're they're on a mission my, my favorite way to fish for bluegills on dries <clears throat> because you yeah. let me tell you you can't beat you can't beat panfish on the dry fly you can't uh-uh. it's it's irresistible and even a four weight, <laughs> even a four weight, they're taking you just yeah. like, ah, and the next they're just gone. They're just sailing. They're just like, ah, you know, they're like, hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the, the diversity that we have. That same creek that we go to, uh, I was actually at, down there one day and I, I just made up my mind. I'd had an attitude when I first got in fly, fly casting. Uh, I'm not going to go for catfish. I don't want to mess with bottom feeders. That, that's not what we're here to do. <laughs> and so I was after going for the bass that we had there and the little sunfish. And I was staying over a, a, a well or a, a deeper hole there. And all of a sudden the clouds part, the sun shines down. I'm standing around on top of it. And I see this column of a bunch of big fish swirling. Got this tiny lightweight rod. And I just, the idiot part of my brain goes, do it. Just flip the, the fly back over into there. And just as soon as it hit the water, I thought my rod or that my hook had hooked into the back of a truck as one of these just takes it and dives. And that was a good 30 minute fight trying to keep my rod from snapping on that thing. And it was a, uh, I think about a four pound channel cat. And when I finally pulled him up, I could not believe that rod handled it and that I was playing it cool enough because usually, you know, I just want to haul him in. But just enjoying the time of that, and that was a blast. I mean, those are, catfish are interesting on the fly. Like they, they're weird. They're almost like little mini muscular sharks. Is the best way I can describe it. They're just yeah. straight muscle, and they just like, I mean, they're fighters, man. And you pull them out, and they're all smooth, and you're just like, what kind of fish is this? But man, they're they're kind of hard to fight. <laughs> We've got them in Glenrose. Alex actually mm-hmm. caught the caught one in Glenrose. We caught some here. I mean, we don't actively go pursue that. Um, but it's kind of fun to, to get them because they are super aggressive, but I think John's going to hook us up with some good flies for some carp. That's our next, our next target. We haven't done the carp thing. I'll send you some so for catfish too. Oh yeah. Oh, nice. I, right. I, I do actively pursue catfish on the fly. <laughs> it is a blast. Yeah, 10 out of 10 would do it any day. They are who. Well, we're coming up on our hour here and I hate to cut everyone off. But, um, man, this has been a blast. And just thanks so much for coming on and sharing. And we didn't even really talk a lot about y'all's rods, I feel like. But no, that's okay. I, I guess that's the thing is like, we're here if someone's interested. And if not, we're here for stories. And we appreciate both of those equally. Like, that's, that's totally fine by us. So yeah, maybe we just need to make this a series. You know? I'm just saying. I'm not well, there's, there's always time for episode two. But oh yeah holly and alex where can people find y'all do you want me to take it or you got it? uh well we are on uh, most social media we've got a facebook presence and uh, an instagram account our social media manager has been just killing it uh, as well as some advice from our good friend john here uh as well as we do have a website pretty straightforward just uh, laughingstockflyfishing.com 
or Google us, Laughing Stock Fly Fishing. Uh, we pop up. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just the two of us. So if you reach out to the email or I believe our number's on the website, I mean, that's my personal cell phone. Yeah. So be nice. But uh, no, we, we are totally up to talk with you. Just talk shop. Uh, there's some people around that are uh, trying to do some fire rod building classes. And so we've kind of been invited to check that out and uh, they might have us teaching. So we're kind of growing in the area. We didn't really know what to expect, but we're learning as we go. Um, yeah, so all of our handles are laughing stock fly fishing. So whether that is Instagram or whether that is uh, Facebook or our website, it's laughingstockflyfishing.com. Like not a lot of people want to name their stuff laughing stock, we realize. So I think I think we're okay. Um, and for us, you know, we're going to be out there at the Tarrant Region Water District um, this weekend, uh, which would be the 12th. Yeah, Tarrant Region Water District. The yeah, sorry, the uh, Fly Fest, and then uh, we also are wanting to work with um, Johnny Martinez at Lake Athens, and maybe get a booth or something set up there. But really, for us, it's about one person at a time. You know, uh, when you go to our website, there's like a place you can see our rods. You get to learn about us a little bit if you're interested, and then you get to see the kind of the rods that we would love to build, and then species and all that. And then you click, um, you know, a, uh, you click an interest form and that sends it to us that you're interested in it. And then we can have that conversation. Like we just don't have anything in, really in stock um, because we want to customize it per customer. So um, we're kind of unique in that sense. We, we have some rods built for people to demo if they are interested, uh, but it's more creating something for each individual person. Um, I think one of the specialties that Alex has found out is I'm a lefty. And so for me, he's able to build a rod that's actually custom to left-handed people. And I'm not saying that's their end-all be-all, but just little things like that, we take that into consideration. Color choices, right left-handed, um, do you have a rod that you like to use? We can kind of cater to that. Um, do you have any rod blank preferences? Like it's kind of open-ended, which means a lot of choices, but we know that people are gonna know what they like and what they don't like. And we're here to help them with what they like. So that's kind of our spiel, I guess. Anything else? That pretty well yeah. covers it. Yeah. Just really, thanks so much for coming on. It, it has been an absolute blast. Not only meeting you guys, but being able to talk to you guys and make some good friendships. So thanks yeah. for that. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah, we're excited. Like this is, and I don't know if our, anybody's going to listen to this in terms of our friends, but this is our first one. So we're super excited and like, thank you for taking a chance on us and meeting with us and talking shop. It's always super fun. So we appreciate this and we look forward to the next, the next round. Absolutely. It was good to meet you too, Brian. Sorry. We yeah. Didn't, yeah. yeah no. This is our first time meeting you too. So this was a blast. Yeah, no, uh, you know, thank you for taking the time to come on and kind of work with our schedule and everything else. And so a little bit hectic currently, but uh, we really appreciate you guys being here, sharing your stories, talking about all the cool stuff. You know, this is all uh, integral in, in our fishing community, whether it's fly, conventional angling, anything else. So it's it's really good to, to have uh, folks like yourselves out there that, that are really into not only the conservation part, but also the, the public access and also just in general, just sharing all of the differences between everything. I think that's what brings all this together is our connectivity between uh you know i'm from this region you're from that region this person's from this region and we all kind of talk you know but we all share the common language of fishing so thank you for coming on we really appreciate it yeah, yeah. thank you for having us yeah we appreciate it thanks guys
And as always, I am John Morris, and this is Brian Keachley, and thanks for tuning in to Working Class Fishing. Now, once again, you can find Ollie and Alex at Laughingstock Fly Fishing on Instagram, Facebook, and their website is laughingstockflyfishing.com. You can find us at Working Class Fishing on Instagram, Working Class Fishing Podcast on YouTube, Working Class Fishing on Facebook, and pretty much all other facets. Um, podcasts will be available on Anchor and all other major listening platforms. And thanks for listening. And I hope everyone has a great night. All right. Thanks. See ya.